Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Oni Pollock, and I'm your host here on Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's Adar. Purim is in the air. I sent out my usual Purim Suda email. You know, my uh, my apartment. This is now our fourth time hosting the Purim Suda, fourth year in a row. And I always told myself, no matter where I am in the world, no matter what's going on in my life, I want to host a Purim Suda every year. Now, four years strong, and uh, one of my roommates that's also been living with me for the last four years, he sends out the initial email. And then uh, I go a little more in-depth <clears throat> on the email. A lot more details. He just, you know, sends out the first email. It's happening. And then I send out the all the details. So uh, Washington Heights, fourth year in a row, should be a lot of fun. And with Perm in the air, I, you know, I sent out the email, what was it, a few days ago? I've just been, like, thinking about, like, Perm music. What playlist should we be looking at? What's the new songs out there? So hopefully this episode we should get to some Perm music. But the way I want to start things off today, Adar, right? It's a time to be happy, be good, be strong, be whatever. I want to talk about, yeah, all those positive things. I want to, uh, you know, talk about a few feel good things. I actually plan on talking about one feel good story. I still plan on talking about one feel good story, but I happened to turn on Facebook this morning before the show, and I just uh, came across this video of a what appears to be a religious Jew on a bus in Israel. Driving the bus. He is driving the bus. Strymol, long white beard. I don't know if the Strymol, I think it's a Strymol. I don't know if the Strymol is, uh, you know, part of a, some sort of costume of some sort. But nonetheless, he's in a Strymol and, and, and he's driving the bus. Presumably his bus. You know, he, he decorated it. He got balloons, a few streamers, and he's playing, you know, Purim music. And everyone gets on the bus and they're all like smiling, laughing. He puts his hand on one of the guy's shoulders and like quick uh, little dance. Just like good shtick, but like you know, that's something that 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 happens in Israel where it's just such a good like feel good moment. It makes you happy. There's even like two minutes into the video or a minute and a half into the video, some guy walks onto the bus, not planning to go on the bus, but hands the bus driver some mishloch um, manot, which is also just a very cool gesture. He does it with the kids. It's one of those things where you're a kid. You know, those kids are probably anywhere from like four to to nine to ten. It's something you'll always remember, and that it's a really nice teaching moment to do that. Um, so props to that father. And uh, one of those feel-good um, videos that are, that comes across on Facebook. And, and and the story that I wanted to talk about is one of those feel-good stories on Twitter. And, and really, you know, social media these days, a lot of people will stay off of it because, frankly, for the most part, there's a lot of negativity. You know, people find ways to uh, to argue, usually a lot, very political, politically-based arguments and just a lot of hatred on the Internet. But there are – the Internet is good, and social media has found its way – um, to lend some 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 positivity to this world, right? And there are a lot of feel-good stories out there. And one of them actually comes from my hometown in Houston um, where this guy, at Billy Donuts HTX, some seems like a, a donut store shop owner, um, was simply, you know, on Twitter, and he tweeted out um, basically that his dad's donut shop you know, a few pictures of it. His dad's donut shop is open. You know, seems brand new. My dad is sad because no one is coming to his donut shop with a sad face emoji. And it's just like four pictures. Looks like a brand new donut shop. Nice yellow background. Um, a picture of it. And Twitter ran with it. 
And these are one of these nice things, you know, a lot of times this just, you know, won't go viral for whatever reason. And, and, and it, not necessarily that it should. It just doesn't go viral. This one already, you know, right now I think has over 330,000 retweets, over 700,000 likes. Um, going to be more and more, which is an insane number. Literally, my dad is sad because no one is coming to his donut shop with four pictures. And Twitter exploded with it. And actually Twitter, like the main Twitter account, Twitter, at Twitter, I kid you not, at Twitter, also ran with it and they they retweeted it and they went out they went above and beyond twitter um they were there i believe the next day um went to the shop had like printed out or you know had like four um twitter shirts made um in yellow because that's kind of the, the color of the shop and i believe if i have this if i don't have this wrong i believe i have this right they paid the tab for everyone that went to visit that day i kid you not these small things from, you know, small things that happen on a random day, it just went nuts and Twitter went above and beyond. I'm not even talking about the Twitter sphere as a whole. I'm talking about Twitter, the company right now, went above and beyond. They were there the next morning tweeting out to everyone, make sure to go get it. And this is just a small shop in Houston, Texas. And uh, the shop obviously, obviously quit, uh, killed it, excuse me. And then obviously I say Twitter, the company killed it, but the Twitter sphere also, nonetheless, went above and beyond as well. And totally, totally, totally made, I'm sure these people, their lives, you know, their days, their months, their weeks, whatever it was, above and beyond. And it's just one of those cool things to see. And listen, honestly, this does happen more often than I'm going to talk about right now. It, it, it does. Like there are, there are, there are, so many stories out there of of positivity of good things that the average person does right real heroes don't wear capes you ever heard that expression because every day in everyday life there's so many of these types of people and it's just nice to see one of these things come to light on such a viral stage but it happens all every you know all over the world so many times a day unfortunately when you're on social media it is often the hatred comes comes to comes to life and 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 we see more of it, unfortunately, but there is still so much positivity out there. And in the month of Adar, I wanted to make sure to uh, to highlight it. Um, one of those cool stories at Twitter. If you want to sort of you know scroll through their timeline over the last few days um, to see you know the story, and it is um, at what I say Billy's Donuts HTX. And a Twitter retweeted it saying, you do not want to miss out on Billy's and neither do we. We'll be there tomorrow morning. You do not. That was a nice little pun there. Um, but again, check it out. If I mean, actually, considering all my listeners probably, uh, or for the most part, eat kosher and don't live in Houston, I, I'd say there's a strong chance that that very few, if any, people fall into that category of, of are willing to not eat kosher and live in Houston, Texas. But Cool story, nonetheless. All right, like I said, we're going to get to a lot of Purim music today. It's not going to, uh, you know what, I, I haven't decided if it's fully Purim, fully not Purim. We'll figure it out. Um, but nonetheless, a lot of Purim music you should expect to hear. And also, uh, we do have two interviews for, the, for you this week. Tova in Israel will be at 10 a.m. as she talks to Jeremy Ginpel. Of, uh, he is the host of Israel Inspired. That's at 10 a.m. Before that, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. It'll be Joanna Shepson with BD Deutsch and Hadassah Pardes. BD Deutsch, the the famous marathon runner in Israel, the Jerusalem Marathon, coming up this week in just a few days, I believe on Friday. 
and Hadassah Pardes from Beit Daniela. Both of them will be joining Joanna at 9.30 a.m. And again, Tovin Israel will join at 10 a.m. with Jeremy Gimpel. But for now, plenty of music coming up. And we start things off, even on a slightly perm episode, we still start things off with one song and one song only. If it's every day of the year. Mahapecha, Shel Khan, this week's Bite Size right here, the Nachum Siegel Network. שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני נשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים
חסון ויקרת, ליהודים הייתה הוראה ושמחה, הוראה ושמחה וששון ויקרת. שושן דת יעקב צהלה ושמחה, מירותם יחד חולת מותחי שושנת יעקב צהלה ושמחה, מירותם יחד חלת מרדכי. תשועתם הייתה לנצח ותקוותם, בכל דור ודור ברוך מרדכי היהודי, ברוך מרדכי היהודי ושמחה וששון ויקר, ליהודים ליהודים הייתה אורה, אורה ושמחה וששון ויקר. כן, 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 שיר ישן, 
שעובר אצלנו במשך דורות. מתנות קטנות, משהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, רסיסים של כוונה, עיגולים של אמונה, מתנות קטנות, משהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, כמו הכוח לקבל את מה ש...
גיבורים, חגורים, חג גדול, אולי הודים, מסכות, רשנים, זמירות וריקודים. אבא נרישה רש רש רש, אבא נרישה רש רש רש, אבא נרישה רש רש רש, פרשנים. אבא נרישה רש רש רש, אבא נרישה רש רש רש, אבא נרישה רש רש רש, פרשנים. Yeah. 
Here on Bite Size, and it's time for Joanna Shepson's interview with BD Deutsch and Adasa Pardes talking about this year, this year's upcoming Jerusalem Marathon, right here, right now on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. So as we approach March, we're getting ready in Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Marathon. And I'm here sitting today. I'm sitting with BD Deutsch, who is also known as Speedy BD. Hi, BD. How are you? Hi. I'm good. So I know you've been interviewed before by Nachum Siegel, and everybody knows you as the the woman, the religious woman who won the Jerusalem Marathon last year. But you've done so much more since then. What other marathons have you been part of? I am Israel's national champion now in the Tavaria Marathon. I also won the Half Marathon Championship, and I just recently won the Tel Aviv Half Marathon. Um, and I'm really grateful for all these incredible running opportunities. The truth is your story is so inspirational because it's not like you've been running for years and years, right? Did you recently start professional running? Yes. um, This past Friday, I just celebrated my three-year running anniversary. Three years ago, I ran my first marathon in Tel Aviv in 2016. And if you had told me uh, today I would be Israel's champion, I would have laughed in your face. So <laughs> it's been quite a journey. And one day we might even be able to say that you're representing Israel in the Olympics. So like this journey's just starting for you, I think. God willing. I hope so. That's my dream. So well, I follow you on Facebook. I'm sure a lot of um, people listening also follow you. Um, there's a lot more to your running. Like you're an incredible person because every time you run, first of all, you write a really inspirational religious kind of message about what you were thinking while you were running. How does religion play into what you're doing? Um, I, I believe that my running's a gift from Hashem and that it's not something I can really fully take credit for and that I, I find running to be a really spiritual experience. Um, and every race, I'm, I walk away with like a whole new um, appreciation for my body and also my connection with Hashem grows even more. And I think being in the, the intensity of a race gives you an opportunity to connect to God in a way that I don't have in my everyday life at all. So beyond just the physical, like, awesome experience of running, there's a very powerful spiritual experience for me as well. So I think one of the things that makes the Jerusalem Marathon so unique, I mean, it, I mean, it happens at other marathons, but it's a central part of the Jerusalem Marathon is that everyone running is running for a cause, and everyone finds a personal connection to that cause. So I asked, um, Daniel, I asked Hadassah Pardes, who is the founder of Beit Daniela, and she's Bidi's aunt, to come and sit with us also and tell us a little bit about Beit Daniela, and the, which is the organization that Bidi is raising money for when, when she does all of her different marathons. So, Hadassah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the background of what Beit Daniela is and who Daniela was. Okay. Um... 
Beit Daniela is a rehabilitative day center for youth. Um, it's a center that we're opening up in Sor Hadassah. Actually, we're opening up next week, so the timing is amazing. Wow. Um, we've just opened up registration. So it's for kids um, that are struggling with mental health issues and that um, need a, a place that can help them transition back into their families and their schools and their lives. Um, we're mostly uh, focusing on kids that are coming out of psychiatric hospitalizations and that need a transition before they go back to their schools and their communities. Um, we're also helping kids that are um, that have maybe not have been have, have not maybe been um, hospitalized but that aren't able to attend uh, regular schools and our aim is to help to get them back into their regular life in their regular schools. So most of the kids will be with us for a few months. Um, and it's a day center, so people will come in the morning and stay until the afternoon. Um, and do you do workshops or different um, lectures for the family members, too, to know how to help these children come back into their family units in society? Definitely, definitely. So we definitely recognize the, the, the role of the parents, and we're there to help the parents and to guide the parents, and we're giving direction to the parents on how to help their kids, how to support their kids, and how to get through this this difficult time that their families are going through. So, Beatty, tell me a little bit about when you first started running for Beit Daniela. Last year, about a week before the Jerusalem Marathon, um, almost in a spontaneous uh, decision, we decided to make a campaign for Beit Daniela and a small team of runners to run in the Jerusalem Marathon and raise money for this incredibly important cause. Um, thank God, both because of the support of so many people and the publicity um, I got from being on the podium and winning, we managed to raise almost $25,000 from our campaign, which really helped us get off the ground and launch in such a short time. We still are seeking donations to continue the renovations and support our incredible um, staff and team that we've assembled to help these children get back to themselves as quickly as possible and to empower their parents. And we are again running this year in the Jerusalem Marathon, hoping to raise 180,000 shekel. And all contributions can be made online at our new site, um, both in Israel and from America. Um, the link can also be found on BeitDaniela.org. Fantastic. And usually when BD runs in, in a marathon or in a race, if you follow her on Facebook, you'll read all about it. And there's always a link there for donations. Um, just curious, did you end up getting people who were interested and wanted to donate after you won? Like people came in touch with you after the marathon? Yes, really much more of the donations came in after I won the Jerusalem Marathon. Um, and Whenever I post something on Facebook, I always get like a lot of positive feedback and comments, and I always encourage people. I'm like, if you like what I'm doing and you like my running, just just donate. That's all I need. No likes, no comments. Just give some money. <laughs> so I think people don't realize that something like this didn't exist before you created it. This is something new. Like the the system is in place for people for children who need to go to psychiatric centers, but then coming back into their regular life was kind of left to the family themselves. Is that right? So we discovered that the hard way. Um, our daughter, Daniela, was sick with anorexia, and she was hospitalized in Hadassah uh, for a few months. And then 
when she came out of the hospitalization, she came home and um, there was no day center where we could send her. She tried to get back into her school. Um, she was there for a few weeks in her school, but we quickly realized that it wasn't going to work, that she just had... Uh, that it was just too hard after being cut off from her life and her friends and after you know the, the the experience of the hospitalization coupled with the illness itself just made it too hard to her for her to get back into normal life and she needed something that would be a gentle gentle transition um i can see here also a beautiful picture of her with a dog like what's the connection with animal therapy for children struggling with these issues. So Beit Daniela is going to provide schooling and therapy and work through uh, animals and dogs and horses. Um, we saw with Daniela that something that really helped her a lot was to work in a kennel. When after, she, after we realized that she couldn't attend her school, we looked for places for her to to work and to, you know, find um, an activity and a structure. So we found a therapeutic kennel in Moshav Ora where she used to go in the morning, every morning, and she used to go and work with the dogs. And she was, um, well, it gave her structure. It gave her a reason to get up in the morning. It gave her something that she liked doing. It gave her status. It, and she really learned also the skills of taking care of dogs. Um, and then in the afternoons, she went to the clinic where she was, um, where she was in therapy for her eating disorder. Um, what will your new center offer these children that's going to actually help them reintegrate back into life, into their everyday life? So our center is going to offer, um, basically three main things. One is schooling so that the kid doesn't get too far behind in their academic work. Um, the other one is group therapy. Um, we're going to have DBT sessions. We're going to have sessions for the parents. We're going to have body image sessions. We're going to have uh, sessions on eating. Um, and we're going to have eating itself. I mean, three meals a day and uh, a kitchen. We actually renovated a beautiful kitchen. The kids are going to prepare their own food. Um, and the third main thing is that we're going to give the kids work to do because we really feel that kids that have a hard time being in their schools, they need to be empowered with activities that are that they like doing and that they can become skilled at and good at. Uh, and we're going to be doing that th with the use of animals. So that we're going to have uh, animal therapy, dog therapy, horse therapy, um, I see there's like a really beautiful connection between what Beattie's doing and what you're doing. And she's building up this image of self-confidence and self-esteem. And young girls can look up to her and say, you know, in three years, she became Israel state champion and anyone can do it. And being religious doesn't mean you can't do something like what she's doing. And you're going to be teaching these kids to build back their self-esteem and self-confidence and be able to enter the world again feeling good and positive about themselves. Um, what else can you tell me about the future plans for Beit Daniela? Are you, do you feel like you're, how much money has Beattie raised for you so far? 
gosh. Well, first let me answer answer the first question about uh, what you said. Beit Daniela is all about empowerment. Where our mission is to empower the kids and to give them the message that um, they can do it. They can overcome. They can get better. They can be skilled at things. They can be good at things. Uh, a kid that's coming out of a psychiatric hospitalization comes out really with an idea in their head that they can't do anything. They've been cut off from the world. They've been cut off from their friends. They've been cut off from any normality in, in their lives. So besides having an illness, they they think that they're, they're just not, you know, they can't manage in anything. And uh, when we're, we're, our mission is to give them a place where they feel safe and where they can build skills and where they can learn that, uh, yes, I can do this. And I also want to say that um, when we saw this really in our uh, personal experience, that when Daniela worked in the kennel, she felt responsible she felt uh, that she had an important job to do because if she didn't, let's say, feed the dogs, they wouldn't be fed. Uh, she knew how to take care of them. She would give instructions to the vet, this one needs a vaccine, that one needs a vaccine. Or if parents would come with a kid that's going to buy a little puppy, she would say, you know, this puppy is good for you or that one's good for you. She felt she was the expert. And we, we think that's a really important thing that we can give our kids. We can give them skills in a certain area, in, in some area that they choose that they're good at. And so what's the opening day so far? What do you have planned? When is Beit Daniela opening? March 1st is our official opening day. Um, our registration just opened this week. Of course, it's, you know, it's going to, it'll be little by little because kids are going to register now and we're in contact with all the hospitals in the city. Um, I guess the question is, is it boys and girls, religious, non-religious? What type of kids are you looking for? So Daniel is for non-denominational kids from 12 to 18, boys and girls. Um, English and Hebrew speakers or just Hebrew speakers? I mean Hebrew speakers. We have some of our staff happens to speak English, but officially it's in Israel and it's a Hebrew speaking place. And we were, were expecting to get kids from all three hospitals the three hospitals in Jerusalem that have uh, psychiatric wards for youth, um, they're all partnered partners with us, and they're sitting on our also they're they're sitting on our um, uh, board of board. advisory board, and we we have partnerships with them, so they're expecting to send yes. us kids that come out of their hospitalization if they think they're appropriate, they'll send them to us. So this is very, very humbling today to be sitting with both of you. You both are doing really incredible things for the city and for the, the people living in the city. If you want to find more information, you can go to Beit Daniela, B-E-I-T-D-A-N-I-E-L-L-A.org. Um, and maybe just to end off, BD, what kind of message would you give to like the younger generation out there watching you with your running and running for a cause, not just Stom running? Um, two things, that whatever talent you're given, whatever gift you're given, use it to make a positive change in the world. Um, and we all have strengths that we're sometimes not even aware of. And that whatever you want to accomplish and whatever you set your mind to, you can do. And not to be afraid to take a risk, to 
uh, push yourself out of your comfort zone, but to dream big and, you know, the sky's the limit and really anything's possible. Fantastic. I look forward to sitting with both of you in a year from now and hearing all about all the great work you've both done and accomplished in a year. So God willing. All right. And we look forward to to watching you run in the Jerusalem Marathon in a couple of weeks. And Hadassah, thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's incredible how quickly you've built up this organization um, in memory of your daughter. So thank you so much for sharing. And now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, BD Deutsch and Hadassah Pardes. Funinjerusalem.com, Fun in Jerusalem on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find out all the information about things to do in Jerusalem and in the land of Israel. Joanna at funinjerusalem.com. More coming up, including great music and this selection, Yachad from Barry Weber, right here, right now on Bite Size at the Nahum Single Network.
We are back here, top of hour number two, and it's time for Tovin Israel's interview with Jeremy Gimpel, the host of Israel Inspired, right here, right now on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I couldn't be more excited right now to be sitting with my next guest for this next Tova Talks interview with Jeremy Gimpel. He's the host of Israel Inspired on the Land of Israel Network. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Jeremy, you have a name that uh, is associated with a passion and a love for Israel. Where did that come from? When did that start? Um, you know, it's just like in my blood. I guess um, my grandfather walked from Russia to Israel in 1916 when he was 15 years old. He was from Bialystok, and um, you know, life for the Jews was so hard in that part of the world that um, you know you couldn't own land, you couldn't have certain jobs, and so it took him about a year and a half. And uh, he walked from Bialystok to Turkey. From Turkey, he made his way to Greece. From Greece to Yafo. And um, my father was born in Jerusalem, and um, it was just the way that I grew up. My father, ultimately, there was only one medical school in Israel at the time, and uh, his mother wanted him to be a doctor, and so eventually, uh, the only way for him to make it uh, into medicine was to find a way to do it in America. And so he went to America to study medicine. I was born in that window of time while he was in the United States, and then we came back here when I was 11 years old. And so Israel was always a part of the legacy of my family, the purpose of, of you know, why it is that we are here in the world. And so um, it's just always been with me. It's my, I always kind of grew up in Atlanta with bedtime stories of what it was like before the state of Israel, because my father was born before 1948, what it was like during the Six-Day War. Israel was always like a fantasy land, and uh, it was just a matter of time until we were going to move back. So as an 11-year-old boy, was it a dream to move back here, or you were you were you still had uh, reservations? Yeah, that's really interesting. On one end, you know, Israel was such a fantasy land, but the realities of making Aliyah at the age of 11 and 12 were really hard. It was a really, really hard transition. Chazal say that Eretz Yisrael niknet serene that you acquire your relationship with the land of Israel through hardships and even suffering. And uh, my Aliyah was quite traumatic. And uh, it took me a while to eventually like acclimate and learn the language and learn the culture. But um, yeah, it's, I, I've grown into my love for the land of Israel, that's for sure. And now you're raising your children in the Judean hills. Um, so do you see a difference in how they're raised already living? They were born here, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a totally different reality. I remember as a little boy, um, I would always call my parents Abba and Ima in the house. In Atlanta, Georgia, you know, we go out to the supermarket. I would never call them Abba anymore. I would always call them Mom and Dad. Uh-huh. And at that time, it didn't really make that big of an imprint on me. But I was thinking about that later. That why did I call them Mom and Dad? Because I didn't want to be the weird guy that was, you know, sounded different amongst other people. I was like growing up as a minority. It was growing up being embarrassed subconsciously or consciously of being a Jew. Uh, my kids now they grow up barefoot through the mountains of Judea. They don't know what it is to be a minority. They're such proud Jews. They they only know what it is to be a Jew in Judea, and uh, it's so healthy. They're so natural. You know, I feel like a Jew outside of the land of Israel. It's a little bit like a fish out of water. 
and um, you know, just kind of flopping around the seashore out of its place, uh, gasping for air. And for a while, you know, a fish only has a 30-second memory. After 30 seconds, it starts thinking, like, maybe this is what it is to be a fish. And being thrown back into the water, coming back to the land of Israel, it's like, oh, this is what it is to be a fish. This is what it is to be a Jew. And so, um, yeah, my children, Hebrew is their mother tongue. It's like a, they have a sparkle in their eye. It's like the Jews that are growing up here eating the fruits of the land of Israel. I mean, their bodies are made up of this land. It's a totally different reality. Wow. So waking up every morning, knowing that you're living in the ancestral land of, of, of Israel, of the Jewish people. Yeah, you know, we also live in a pretty unique place. Uh, I used to live in Neve Daniel, uh, which is a beautiful religious Zionist community. My brother was my next door neighbor. Just like a marvelous dream of a community. And we've recently picked up about five months ago, and we've moved now to the deepest settlement in Judea. And raising my family there, I mean, we have a flock of sheep, and we have olive groves, and we have a vineyard. And uh, it's just like a dream. It's hard to explain. The transition there was also quite difficult, moving from Neve Daniel to living alone on a mountaintop. Wow. But, a flock? Uh, Did you say a flock of sheep? Yeah, we, we have our own flock of sheep. It's true. Wow. Yeah. So in the mornings, I get to take them out into the pasture in the mountains. No way. Yeah, it's, like a, it's just like a dream of a life. And it's, wow. Uh, it's, you know, I try to see my life within the context of the story of the Jewish people. And I... And, you know, to, to realize that we're alive in these days. If, if I had any time that I would have chosen to be alive in all of our history, from the times of, like, Abraham through the kings, the judges, the prophets, the Maccabees, I mean, to now, now is the best time ever. And so to be alive in these days and to really kind of push the limits of where we're living and how we're living and returning to the land and a little bit more connected to nature... Um, it's like a, a dream come true for us. So talking about uh, being connected to nature, you just put out this beautiful, magnificent uh, music video in the, literally in the hills of Judea. Can you tell us a little bit more of where that started and what the message is? Yeah. So when I first came out to our farm, it was about four years ago. And I mean, if you see the music video, the views and the cliffs, they're just so majestic and wondrous. They're, just, you know, I just, I, the more I started learning about that place and those mountains, those mountains in particular in the Tanakh are called the mountains of Zif. And that was where King David ran when he was hiding from Saul before he became king. And the Midrash says that most of the book of Tehillim, most of the book of Psalms was written in those mountains before David became king. And I realized, wow, like, I don't know how I found these mountains and how I found this farm, but this is where the book of Tehillim was written. This is, like, unbelievable. And so I used to just go out to those mountains early in the morning, and I'd bring my talus and my tefillin, and I didn't even know how to play the guitar. But I said, I'm going to bring out a guitar. And all of a sudden, melodies started coming to me. And then for a few years, it was just me alone on a mountain with a guitar, singing the words of King David in the place that he wrote them. And then, you know, after a few years, I'm like, man, these songs are really good. <laughs> I, I'm going to make an album. Wow. And then um, it was really just my morning prayers from Modani, the first words we say as a Jew in the morning, until Ishtabach, which is the end of, like, the beginning of the morning prayers that are really Psuke de Zimra, passages of song. And so um, I said, how do I capture my own experience of what it was like being here alone on the mountains? And so the music video, in some way, starts off with me in a synagogue, just kind of like mumbling through the morning prayers, kind of how we do nowadays. And then I put in my earphones and then it transports me into the mountains alone with my guitar. 
and um, it was trying to capture what it was like just being alone on the mountains with my guitar singing to God. And so that's really, um, you know, hopefully the, the music video and the album itself will inspire people to sort of reinvigorate their own morning prayers because to me that's like the best part of my day that's incredible wow I know I saw the video and I was completely inspired and I already have that like passion for Israel so I hope the people that you know don't necessarily have that little spark it really ignites it um, and you have also um, you have something new on the horizon you have an ebook coming out can you tell us a little bit about that well yeah you know what happened was you know a few years ago I just I was getting really frustrated and kind of just I don't know almost bored going to synagogue every morning and I didn't know what to do I just felt like man it's called Psuche de Zimra passages of songs but the way we're doing it it should be called Psuche de Mumbling you know we're just like mumbling through this stuff and so I just uh, you know with all of the guilt and the, and the worries and the concerns and the halachas and minion and what am I going to do I just took my guitar and I went out to the mountains and I said I just want to experience prayer I want to feel a little bit of what what the people who wrote those psalms of prayer, what did they, what were they experiencing that they wrote these like love songs to God? I want to somehow encounter that. And so um, for years I've been sort of developing my own morning routine based on, um, you know, Tefillat Shacharit and what it is to be a Jew in the world. And since I moved out into the mountains, my whole rhythm has changed. I go to sleep much earlier. I wake up before the sun rises and I realize, man, there's actually prophetic practices that the sages of Israel passed down to us. How a Jew is supposed to wake up in the morning? And so the ebook is really not only a commentary on the morning prayers and on Tehillim, but really a way to start your day. And so um, it's the way I start my day most days. And uh, it's changed my life. It's made me more productive, happier, more focused, more inspired. And so I feel like the Torah is meant to change us. Tefillah is meant to change us. And so it's not only meant to change God, if we can even do that. And so hopefully this ebook is meant to be like a guide. You know, every CD always comes with a little booklet. So it's more like a glorified booklet. You know, it's about 30 pages of uh, just the, the things that inspired me, the insights that I've had as I've been kind of on my own personal journey with prayer. And I said, if I'm already doing this for myself, I should share it with the world. And it's really amazing. Um, you know, hundreds of people from all over the world have downloaded the album, have pre-ordered the ebook, and it's shocking. The Jews from around the world, non-Jews from around the world, it's like there's a real thirst for people that want to encounter something real and to try to like take the words that King David, you know, encoded for us for eternity and say like, how can I make those words my own? How can I experience those? You know, it says, Ta'amu u'u ki tov Hashem. Taste and see that Hashem is good. And that's awesome. How do we taste it? How do we see it? I really want to taste it. And so hopefully this will give people maybe a taste of what I've tasted. I hope. Wow. Wow, wow. Okay. So how can people pre-order? Where can they find it? Um, our website is thelandofisrael.com. That's the home of the Land of Israel Network. And it's, there's like a link right there to download the album and order the ebook. The ebook should be ready probably early next week. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's right there. I know that I pre-ordered it, but I'll definitely put it, the link in the post also. Um, so what would you say uh, should be the top priority on any Jew's mind? Going, you know, any, any Jewish person right now, what should be the top priority that they should be, you know, thinking about? Yeah, I think the secret of the Torah, for me at least, you know, the prophets of Israel were the first human philosophers to envision world peace. It's pretty amazing. Until the prophets of Israel, like, war was just the way the world was. Corruption was just the way the world was. Tikkun olam, that we could actually repair the world, fix the world, redeem the world. It's a revolutionary idea. But even more than that was the strategy that the Torah kind of 
lays down for us. And the strategy is each person takes care of his own life and his own family. I mean, the whole story of the Torah is Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and their family, and then Isaac and his family, and Yaakov and his family. And so I really feel like the focus needs to be each person in their own home. If, we, if each person around the world just took responsibility for their own families, in one generation the whole world would be repaired. And so inside us, every Jew wants to change the world, wants to save the whales and protect minority rights. And you know, But if we all just take responsibility for the homes that we have, I feel like that should be the number one priority. That's my priority. One of the main reasons why I moved out into the mountains was you know, the lifestyle that I was living was very Western. I know I, if I made it home for family dinner, I was a hero. And I was like, why am I only making it home for family dinner sometimes? I want, I, you know, we have such a limited amount of time with our kids. I want, to, I want to be the main influence in their lives. I want us to be learning together, working together. And so I feel like the main focus should be in the responsibilities that only we can take care of. And that really is our family. Well, it, it goes on the saying, you know, chesed starts at home. Yeah. And thank God we have a wonderful community, you know, worldwide Jewish community that really takes care of, you know, each other. Kol Yisrael, everybody's responsible for each other, but really, you know, push comes to shove, we need to take care of our families first. Yeah. And so, I, and I feel like in some ways, the best way to maintain a strong family is that the family should have a common mission together. What's the mission of our family? What's the purpose of our family? You know, I've actually articulated it in my family in 13 principles that our family lives by. And I printed up those principles and what the Gimpel family is. And Israel, in a lot of ways, I feel like represents that for the Jewish people. Each person in their own way, in their own ideology, in their own religious background. But having Israel as sort of a focus, as a dream, as a mission, and what Israel represents for the world. You know, if it's freedom, if it's tikkun olam, if it's the Jewish destiny that's unfolding in our lifetime. So having a family mission and having Israel sort of in the background or in the forefront of our consciousness, I feel like will really help people kind of build their family together, not just um, in their own relationships, but with a mission and a cause. Wow. Okay, so a lot of times people hear me talking about, you know, make Aliyah, make Aliyah, and we all know the message. Everybody should have, you know, a plan to make Aliyah and come as soon as possible. But let's... Do you have any piece of advice? What are your main pieces of advice for uh, the Jewish nation that already made Aliyah? They're already living here. What, what's your advice for them? Yeah, my, one of my dearest friends, Ishai Fleischer, who's a broadcaster also on the Land of Israel Network, he's the spokesman of the Jewish community of Hebron. So he coined this term saying, keep making Aliyah. And I love that idea. That, you know, someone that makes Aliyah, I mean, it's not done yet in some ways. That's just the beginning of the journey. And so, how do we stay inspired? How do we keep on making Aliyah? How do we keep on ascending? And I feel like within Israel, the things that you build here, in some ways it's attaching yourself to eternity. You know, it's like attaching yourself to the story that's unfolding here. You know, in the history books now, you know, the Jewish community in Australia or in America, they're really going to be in the footnotes of the history books. Everyone will be just captivated at the underdog return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. I mean, think about where the Jewish people were 75 years ago and where we are today. I just read an article, I think published by the New York Times, that Israel is the eighth most powerful country in the world. How? I mean, just 75 years ago, we had no country, we had no language, we had no common anything. We had nothing. We were just sheep to the slaughter and refugees from Arab countries. And something is being built here. And 
building something here, however big it is, however small it is, whatever project it is, it's literally attaching yourself to Netzach Israel, to the eternity of the story of the Jewish people. You know, in our farm, we have all these beautiful buildings, and most of the stones are built of the mountain itself. And we can see Masada from our mountain. We can see the Dead Sea. We can see Jerusalem because, you know, it's like wow. the top of the mountain. It's beautiful. And I think about Masada. It's the most paid tourist attraction in Israel. I mean, the Kotel is the most visited, but if you want to pay to go in an entrance fee, Masada is the number one paid tourist attraction. And people from all over the world go to see the way the Jewish people lived 2,000 years ago during the Roman occupation. And if we realize that what we built here in Israel 2,000 years from now, people from around the world will come and see what it was like when the Jewish people returned to the land of Israel. And with the European Union against us and the United Nations against us and the Arab world surrounding us, the Jewish people persevered. It didn't just survive, but thrived. In every chesed opportunity that you have here, in your community, just everything that's done here isn't just done. It's like attaching yourself to the most amazing story that humanity has ever told. And so there's always a way to keep inspired. And I feel like people wait to be inspired to act. And sometimes the inspiration doesn't come. And what I've learned in my own life is that action creates motivation. That inspiration is almost a byproduct of action. And so whatever chesed you do, whatever good deeds you do, whatever you're doing to push the Jewish story forward and bring the world a little bit more light. When you walk in the light, the light grows. And so to act, you know, based on what you think is important. And I feel like that way, through actions, inspiration comes. Wow, that's really... Now I know why it's called Israel Inspired. <laughs> I'm completely inspired. Um, Jeremy, that was amazing. And I have one last question to ask you. If you could think of any place in Israel that you could call your, your Israel happy place, where would that be? Um, there's so many places. And it probably changes from time to time. But right now, um, about a 10-minute walk from our mountaintop, um, there's a cave. And, you know, like I said before, I mean, these were the caves that King David hid in. And it's like walking into this cave that's right next to our property. When I first discovered the cave, because I didn't know it existed until I was hiking around the mountain. Wow. And I walked into the cave, and it's so beautiful, and it's big, and it's it's just awesome and majestic. And then I saw that half of the ceiling of the cave was covered in black. And I'm like, what is this black stuff? It just doesn't seem natural to the cave. So we brought an archaeologist out, and I brought him to the cave, and I said, could you please tell us, like, what is this black stuff here? And he looked at it, and he said, oh, wow, this black is 2,000-year-old fire from the days of Rebbe Akiva and Bar Kokhba. This, Are you serious? Yeah. The, the, the road through Nachal Arugot from the Herodian all the way down to Masada was a main highway for the rebellion. It was the last time the Jewish people had freedom in Judea during the Roman occupation. That was the last bastion of Jewish freedom. And I think about that cave and that Rebbe Akiva and Bar Kokhba were there fighting for Jewish freedom in Judea. And then to be back in that cave and thinking about how many prayers were said there and how many nights that fire was burning and to be able to light our own fires there now and continue the story of Jewish freedom in Judea. I feel like there's just something so remarkable that it's not legends, it's not mythology, it's real. The Jewish people have returned to the land of Israel against all odds and we're now the next chapter in the greatest story. And that cave is like walking back in time and somehow walking into the future. And so, 
to me right now at least that cave is the most inspiring amazing place to go there down there with my guitar and, and add my tefillot to those tefillot it's like awesome wow that's really incredible Jeremy I really want to thank you um, for sitting down with me and sharing your words of inspiration for anybody listening right now uh, you could definitely find Jeremy Israel Inspired on the Land of Israel Network um, find him on Facebook watch his music videos and really feel the passion feel his love for Israel and hopefully that'll spark your uh, passion and love for Israel too and you'll make your mark here also thanks Jeremy thank you thank you Yoni back to you Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Jeremy Gimpel. Tova and Israel.com, Tova and Israel on Facebook, and Tova and Israel on Instagram, where you could follow her and check out all the cool things happening in Israel. And I bet you over these next few weeks with Purim around the corner, just next week, she will be a fun, fun follow. So be sure to check her out. Tova and Israel.com, Tova and Israel on Facebook and on Instagram. More coming up here on Bite Size segment that has no name with Miriam L. Wallach is TBD. So we'll kick it over to more music, and then we'll wrap things up at the bottom of this hour. Thank you for tuning in right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Stanford, tale so grand. Shushan is the place where it all began. The hidden miracle. Second in command, slay all the Jews with his wicked plan A scheme so miserable He chose a day for the disaster It's ironic what came after He didn't know a girl named Esther Would turn it upside down So raise your glass if you can see The hidden meaning it's right in front of you From behind the scenes, she wore the royal crown. Three days the Jews just prayed. Queen Esther was her life, went to save the day. She took Haman down. The streets were filled with celebration. Everyone ate hamantashen. Jubilation for the nation.
friend from Korea. Come on in! So raise your glasses. אשר ישלטו היהודים, אימו בסייניהם. ונהפך ונהפכו, אשר ישלטו היהודים, אשר ישלטו היהודים, אימו בסייניהם. ונהפך ונהפכו, אשר ישלטו
מבקש ממך בכל ליבי ובזה התפילה שתנחה אותי בדרך ישרה ותודיעי לי אורחת אורה ריבונו של עולם אני מבקש ממך בכל ליבי ובזה התפילה שתנחה אותי בדרך ישרה ותודיעני אורחת אורם שתדריכני ועמיתך אבקש ממך בכל ליבי ובזה התפילה שתנחה אותי בדרך ישרה ותודיעני אורחת אורה שתניחני
You see, what are we doing about the Purim? Well, I don't know, Yaakov. Oh, look, here comes Chazen. Let's ask him now. Chazen, what are we doing about Purim? Purim, well, it just so happens that Lenny wrote this great new song and I'm singing it. You're singing it? That's not how it goes. That's not the one. We have a different song about Purim and this is it. Let's go save the Jews, oh Esther, let's go save the Jews, oh Mordecai, let's go save the Jews, Let's go save the Jews, oh Esther, let's go save the Jews, oh Mordecai, let's go save the Jews,
שיורות, לשים בחושך את כל הצרות, ולחיות את הרגע ולא, לא לחכות. לא רוצה הביתה, זה הזמן
back here on Bite Size to wrap things up. And I know uh, the segment that has no name has not taken place in so long. But, guys, it, it's back. I told you at some point it would be back. And to my left, I'd like to welcome Miriam L. Wallach to the show. Good morning. Booker Tove. Where you been? You know. Yeah, around, right? Around. Hanging around. out. Do you like that song? Mm. What else is going on? Uh, listen, I, I happen to love Milo Cohen. And he's got a few good songs. I think this is one of them. And it's it's great, your show. You can play them. what you want. Fair, fair, fair. You don't produce this show? I do not. Other shows, but not this one. All right. Other ones, yeah. Um, speaking of Purim, I know it's your favorite holiday. Yeah, I just actually vented with a, a, a fellow um, Purim not-liker. I don't want to say hater. It's a very strong term. Perm unappreciator. Fine. Does it hurt you? Does it? Is it good? Is it bad? The fact that your favorite holiday is thirty days later. Does it lessen, you know, Pesach for you, or does it? Does do it mean? make it more exciting to you that oh, right when we're done with this terrible holiday, we get back to an exciting and my favorite holiday. Well, I've Pesach's already your favorite, right? I love Pesach. I've already started planning for Pesach. Why wait until after Perm? Right for you, just perm's a perm's a Thursday for you. Perm, no, perm's not a Thursday. Perm is the longest day of the year, <laughs> and this year, I actually went to Costco, and my cart was part perm, rest Pesach. And that's not usual for you. No, I'm usually not buying stuff for Pesach this early, but um, because all the meat and chicken and everything that's right. in uh, in Costco. That's under the OU is already OUP. Mm-hmm. I took advantage of my being there and the fact that I can't drive for a couple of weeks and decided to get a leg up. Oh, thank you, you on the holiday. Yeah. Um. So big perm plans though. Um. Relatively no. Relatively very low key because we're down a couple of drivers. We're down a couple of yeah. drivers. So <laughs> it's you know I I think I'm not a parent but. I'm not a parent, but um, I think like uh, I, this is the way I'm feeling. I feel like that when you were early on, when your kids are getting older and you're like kind of scared for them to drive. And once they've been driving for like a year, it's like, finally, like I have another driver to do all this stuff for me. And then like you, you miss them when they're gone. It's actually more of a complete crutch having okay. your having a kid who's a driver and then they go off to Israel for the year, and you're like, why did I do that? Right. Why did I send them to Israel <laughs> exactly. for the year? That is a horrible But move. the first time they drove, like for the first year, you're kind of more worried than you are like appreciative well, th- that there's another driver. I don't know. Not necessarily, okay. but the, but um, I didn't allow my second daughter to drive on Fridays in the five towns for a good couple of weeks after she got her license because it's really Lord of the Flies. It's, it's, it's such a disaster. Though my oldest, on the day that she got her license... Uh, picked up her siblings from school on a Friday. Um, was it a Friday? No, it couldn't have been a Friday. Um, but she took them all for Slurpees. Like that was her. That was it. She was free, and she and was. They be- all lived to tell the tale. Yeah, they all seemed to be fine. All right, that's and good. then uh, in in her yearbook, there's a formal picture and an informal picture on her page. I mean, all of them do that. Right. So there's the one that's posed with the photographer and. Your hair's done and whatever. And then there's the informal, this is what I'm really like. It was the back of her car because it was, it's an SUV with a hatchback mm-hmm. with all her five siblings sitting oh, in the trunk nice. and her standing there like a five towns Ema as she refers to herself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sure. but this, uh, this holiday is, uh, you, I live on a, a corner in Woodmere. Yeah, you do. My house is a corner house. I cannot tell you how many 
car accidents I have seen on that in that area on Purim. Oh, okay. I've lived in that house now twenty plus years. Twenty plus years, yes. And over ten accidents. Um, about could be. Right. And last year was the most recent. Where I'm in my kitchen, all of a sudden I hear bam. I'm like, yep, chalk it up, call it solid, do another one. Purim Suda, yes or no? Well, we need one. How many people? No, we're not going anywhere. We were invited out, but I am uh, otherwise sticking it out at home. Okay. I, yeah, I don't want to. Fine, so keeping it light this Purim. Keeping it light. Costumes. All, I'm going to be a ranger. A power ranger? Nope. A New York yeah. ranger. Oh, a New York ranger. Yeah, I'm going to be a New York ranger. That's a hockey thing here, right? Mm-hmm. They they happen to be a hockey team. Right. Uh, I will be a New York Ranger. Do you have a jersey? I do. What are you? What kind of a question was that? Oh, yeah, I guess you for wedding presents. You have a jersey. Okay. I, yes. You, know, you have a jersey. Stephen or one of your and I got nished. True. All yes, yeah. yes to all the above. Stephen and I for our for a wedding present from one of my closest friends got matching jerseys. Oh, that's cool. Uh-huh. What, what's is it like your name on the back? No, nished. It's it's Just plain on the back. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and um, with the trades a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. of course. we now have a number of jerseys that no one will wear. So, you know, there's plenty to go around for Purim. All right, nice. Anybody need a Zuccarello jersey? We Zook. we have a couple in case you want them. You know, it's funny. It just that reminded me of a story, and then we got to wrap up because Rami wants to do his show on time, which makes sense. Um, He's but, such a stickler about time, that guy. I know. When yeah. we were in, uh, to be fair, that's his job. But mm-hmm. um, when we were in Norway, yes. my friends and I. Yeah, and, not uh, me and you, because you and I have never been to right, Norway, and I'd like and to keep it that way, frankly. Norway's cool. Not for you and me, it's not. Yeah. Um, my friend was wearing a New York Rangers hat, and Zuccarello, I believe, is Norwegian. So everyone, whenever they saw his hat, they were yelling, Zoo! Oh, that's Zoo. funny. Yeah, I think he's Norwegian, I'm pretty sure. That's, I mean, uh, it's, just from the, I mean from the general or he's Swedish. Swedish. Right, right. Know. Uh, you know, uh, my daughter, who's a big um, Ranger fan, who's yeah. the reason that we are all Ranger fans, she told me that you know what the um, the Swedish hockey players do when they're feeling homesick. I don't know. They go to IKEA. <laughs> they funny. go to IKEA and, and check out the Bajersta tables. And yes, the, uh... and they have the Swedish meatballs. Oh, that is good Be- stick, <laughs> right? That is great stick. <laughs> they I go to the really cafe- partner with a lot of like these Swedish. Yeah, players. they go to the that cafeteria because that's like evidently that dish is like classically Swedish, and they make it in a particular way that's an anomaly to all other like meatball recipes. It's super distinctive Norwegian. Yeah, so, I don't know what Swedish meatballs are. Like, what makes them right, Swedish? Like, can you make no, Swedish I'm meatballs? Norwegian. Like, is it certainly a, like a not? I don't kosher? know. My bubby used to make Swedish meatballs, and there was beer in there, and I have no idea if there's any rhyme or reason for that. I ain't got no clue. Right. It's not the point. The point is, is that when they want to feel like home, they go to IKEA. That's great. All right, listen, stick. I appreciate you uh, joining for the. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, let's do this segment uh, a little more often. Yeah, I feel you know I've been left out of the fun, frankly. But it's all right. All right, thank you, Miriam. You got it. Thanks you. All right, Wednesday's live launch coming up in just a few seconds with Avrami Finkelstein. So stay tuned to that. Thank you all for tuning in for the last two hours here with me. My name is Yoni Pollock. I'd like to wish you all a good day and a, and, you know, perm's next week, but I'll wish you a happy perm now because who doesn't like to be wished a happy perm? And remind you that the bite size is always, always, always the right size. 